Well, good morning. How's everybody? Well, after hearing about my wife's driving and shopping patterns, I'm a little worried. A little worried. Uh, how you, how's everybody liking uh, Southern California winters? Aren't they great? So anyway, we got up this morning, and we're getting ready to leave, and I looked over, and Tammy had this brown wool, I don't know what it was, right, vest thing, and I go, what are you doing? Well, I'm getting in the season. I said, well, Tammy, just because we have our air conditioning on the inside and it's cool doesn't mean it's cool outside. It's like going to be 85 today. She goes, well, I just want to be festive, and so she took it off. She went back. She came out with some sheepdog thing. I don't know what it was, and I go, Tammy, that's just not going to work. You got to, you got to, you got to. Dress lighter. So anyway, you look beautiful. Thank you very much for listening to your shopper, your your stylist, right? Anyway, but uh, we've had we've had a string of Christmas parties. Anybody had a Christmas party yet or not? We've been we're on our fourth one today tonight. So it's like one, two, three, four, and all of them are different. And we've gone from the political mosh pit to you name it. And it's just been neat to be able to interact, but in every one of them, be able to somehow. Uh, just connect on that kingdom of God level. And I want you to know that every one of you have that opportunity, wherever you are, whether you're shopping, whether you're at work, whether you're at school, to really leverage what God has given you for the kingdom of God. Amen? You know, I love to read headlines. I I love to read headlines that are funny. I love to read headlines that are informative. Um, Some are tragic, obviously, but I love the, the ones that are prophetic, let me explain what I mean by that. When I read a headline and, I, and immediately the Spirit of God says to me, that relates to a particular scripture or principle or promise of God. Then my, I, all of a sudden I kind of perk up and I begin to look at it and I begin to drill deep into that. And you know, what happens if you don't keep an eye on the prophetic when you're reading headlines, you become discouraged, because you think all is lost and, and wow, the world's spinning out of control and all of these things, and you forget that God is in control. You see, God's word was given for you in order for you to understand how to stabilize life and how to advance even in times of difficulty and turmoil. It's not, you know, you go, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. You don't have to do anything except listen to God and walk by faith. And when you do that and when you know the Word of God, it'll guide you to lead you into a better place. Today we're going to give you a couple of headlines that I found interesting. The first one is from CNN, the Communist News Network. Uh, It's really interesting to read different political viewpoints and to know that they're all wrong, isn't it? I mean, that's really how I feel. I just read them all and I go, they're all wrong. Nobody's really got it right yet. But I'm going to give you one headline that I think got it 100% right. 100% right. Here's the first one from CNN. Why declaring Jerusalem the capital of Israel is so controversial? Now, if you watch the news this week, you know that the president made a very, very significant step. It actually was approved uh, back in 1995 but never put into place. So what he acted on was something that is actually 22 years old. And a lot of us don't realize what's really happening here. It's just no president, after that was signed and put into law, has ever actually implemented it except the president that's now sitting. And so when you begin to look at this, you say, well, what's the significance of that? Prophetically, it's huge. I'm going to show you today how big it really is. Now, the one thing that we do know about Jerusalem is it it first appears in Scripture 
back in the book of Genesis during the time of Abraham. And Abraham is there, and he's been victorious in a battle, and all of a sudden he's met by a heavenly person by the name of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek comes, and he's a kind of a, an interesting character because you don't know who he is, and it's really not fully realized until you come to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. So here's this guy that Abraham comes and he offers a tithe, that is a tenth of his income, and he offers him bread and wine, a picture of communion. And it says of Melchizedek that he's without father or mother. And all of a sudden you're clued into who is this person of the Old Testament. You realize this is an early appearance of the Son of God. And you trace him through Scripture. But it's interesting, he's called the king of Salem, that is, the king of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem dates back, in our biblical knowledge, to the time of Abraham, and it's the only city in the Bible that God says is his city. He doesn't claim any other city. Of course, the world is the Lord's, the universe is his, but he claims particular affinity to the city of Jerusalem. And we know that it's the most hotly contested piece of real estate on planet Earth. Everyone seems to want it, and everyone seems to go about it the wrong way, and yet God has already declared it's his city. And it has a great history. And so a lot of people, they're trying to figure out, well, isn't the Palestinians? Well, you know, there really technically are no Palestinians. There is no real, there is no language. There was never a Palestinian president. And there really isn't a Palestinian culture, which is really fascinating. Now, that doesn't mean that we as believers and we as a, as a people should not try to find ways to build bridges with all people regardless of the ideologies or the religion. We're called to do that. We're called to be that. But at the same time, we understand that the Bible has something very, very clear to say. So when this uh, is declared the capital and the move of the embassy, it really does start to, to trigger a lot of things in my mind. The other thing that was interesting is Google got in trouble, uh, believe it or not, for giving out free information. If you Google the capital of Israel, it will say Jerusalem. And so Google got all these attacks from everybody saying, how can you say that? It, da, 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 da. Well, you know, it's free. Google's free. You're complaining about it. For, anybody ever giving you a gift? I don't want this gift. You know, it's free. It's free. Well, can I have the gift receipt? Uh, we were getting ready to go uh, out um, in the last week or two, and I said, Tim, we should really take something to this person. And, and so I said, what about this? And she said, that'll be great. And it was a re-gift. Anybody here re-gift? Come on, just raise your hand, re-gift. It's okay. It's okay unless you get back what you gave somebody. So we're walking out the door, and I look down at it, and there's still a tag on it from when it was gifted to us, and they were going to give it to the same person who gave it to us. I go, yeah, that ain't good. Ain't good at all. So keep the tags on them. It'll keep you honest. Next headline I want to bring to you. It's Al Jazeera. By the way, the article in Al Jazeera reads almost identical to the article in CNN. Philosophically, ideologically, there is no difference between the two, which is really fascinating. But here's the, here's the headline, why Jerusalem is not the capital of Israel. Now, let me give you a third headline that is 100% accurate. It reads like this, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of God, author God, 
year 700 B.C., let me give you the scripture, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 17. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is important to God, and Jerusalem is in the center of what God is up to. What we're going to do today is we're going to take you through a study. Now, some of this, uh, some of you are, let's say, really advanced Bible students. Some of you are kind of in the middle, and some of you are just learning. So some of what we're going to give you today is going to be more in the advanced level. Some will be in the middle, and some will be down here. So hopefully we're going to be able to give you some information uh, about the big picture. But what I want you to do is understand something about the significance of the year, of the year that this falls in. So right now we understand that this is a jubilee year. Now, the Jubilee happens every 50 years. So 2017 in the Jewish calendar is what's called the year of Jubilee. And Leviticus tells us how we understand a Jubilee. It says in Leviticus 25, and you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years. And the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. The 50th year shall be a year of Jubilee to you. So we understand that God wants to bring rest and wants to bring some evidence of who he is in the 50th year. So what I want to do is kind of take you through a little bit of a journey uh, back to 1917, which was a year of Jubilee. Now, <clears throat> Jubilee, it means, again, that, that idea of freedom and, and what God is going to work in a marvelous way. But what happened in 1917 was something called the Balfour Amendment. And what it did was it gave Jews the right to the land of Israel, it made it official and said, yes, you can do that. That wasn't realized until 1948, but in 1917, a jubilee year took place, which is really interesting, that then gave them the right to the land. Of course, we know then in 1967, which would be 50 years, there's another jubilee year. So what happened in 1967? If we start watching this and chronicling it, we know that God puts all things together, right? It's not arbitrary for God. It's not like capricious. He's not going like, gee, that sounds like a good year. But remember, if it is that if Scripture says that God holds the kings of the earth in his hand and he moves them like channels of water. So if you understand that, you understand this was not a decision of a president. This was a movement or an urging of God. If you understand that, then you understand that God is sovereign. So 1967, Israel, now a fairly new country from 1948 when they were established. So in 1967, a surprise attack by multiple nations, including like Egypt and, and Syria and Jordan, they surprise attacked Israel with forces two and a half times their size. So you can imagine you've got 100,000 and 250,000 troops are going to invade a little piece of real estate that's smaller than the state of New Jersey, to put it all in perspective. They're going to come up against a surprise attack, and that was known and that day as the Six-Day War because Israel defeated that army, that enemy that came against them in six days. It's completely impossible. There's no way to explain that except God. There's a marvelous testimonies that have been written by uh, even fighter pilots and different ones that, that 
that give account to angelic involvement in what they were doing. It's, it's really fascinating. But what the most interesting thing that happened in 1967 was that Israel regained for the first time control of Jerusalem. Now look what's happening. They have the right to come back in. The Six-Day War, they regained Jerusalem. Now we go another 50 years, and what do we have? We have this year, 2017, another Jubilee year, and what's happened? Now Jerusalem is recognized as the capital of Israel. The embassy is moved from Tel Aviv, or in the process will be moved, to Jerusalem. So we're living in a really prophetic moment. So these are not just headlines. These are not just controversial ideologies. This is real stuff that's going on that you can turn in your Bible and go, wait a minute, God is doing something because Jerusalem is significant to the very heart of God himself. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to think about the kingdom of God. Think of the kingdom of God like an umbrella. So you hear us talk about the kingdom of God. You read about the kingdom of God. I want you to think about this is a, this is a big umbrella that describes the reign of God over all of his creation, over time, over eternity, over everything that is and ever will be. That is God's kingdom. It, revo- it really refers to the power and the authority of God. But there's another term that shows up only in Matthew's gospel and it's called the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's interesting because things that are different are not the same. Kind of a basic rule of life, right? If this is called the kingdom of God and this is called the kingdom of heaven, things that are different are not the, they're not the same thing. So there are parallels. There are times when you're reading and go, wait a minute, this sounds like the kingdom of God. Because what we understand is the term kingdom of heaven is only used in Matthew's gospel. It's not used in Mark, it's not used in Luke, it's not used in John, only in Matthew. Now, you probably wouldn't notice that unless someone pointed it out to you. Now, we're going to kind of move you into a little bit of the deeper, more mature Bible study information. If you get what I'm getting ready to tell you, it will change the way you read Matthew for the rest of your life. I promise you. You ready? Okay. Matthew starts chapter 1. All of a sudden, we see Jesus coming on the scene. By the time you get to chapter 3, chapter 4, he's tempted by the devil in chapter 4. You come to chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. Ever read it? Blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the earth. Is that happening? No. Nobody. No, it's not happening. We say, well, how come he said that? Is that the ideal, or was something else going on? You see, Jesus came and he offered the kingdom to the Jews, and what he wanted to do was set up a kingdom. But chapter 12 happens, all right? Chapter 12 is really significant. It's the the turning point in the book of Matthew because in chapter 12, guess what happens? Jesus is encountering the Jewish religious leaders, and as he's talking to them, they ascribe the work of Jesus to Satan. And Jesus responds and says, everything you say about the Son of Man, that is Jesus, will be forgiven. But when you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, that will not be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. And he said that was the unpardonable sin. Now, some of you think, well, I committed the unpardonable sin last week. Well, the unpardonable sin is rejection of the Spirit's work in your life to bring about conversion. He said, as a nation, you did that. 
That's chapter 12. Now watch what happens. You step into chapter 13, and now what does God do? God, he gives you seven kingdom parables, stay with me, seven kingdom parables all related to the church and not to the Jews. And what Jesus literally does he walks out of the house of Israel and into the house of the Gentiles. And if you're, you say, well, what's a Jew and a Gentile? If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. How's that? Got it? Make it really simple. All of a sudden now he's speaking to us and he's saying, I'm going to entrust the kingdom to you. I want you to do something with it. And I'm going to postpone the earthly reign until the millennium. Okay, hang with me. I want to walk you through what is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the reign of God over all things, and the kingdom of God, and we're going back here, this big picture. I'm going to bring you back to this in a minute. Kingdom of God is spiritual and does not come with observation, Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. So when the kingdom of God comes, you go, I see the effects of the kingdom, but I don't see the kingdom. I can't draw a geographical line and say there's the kingdom of God. But I know the kingdom of God. I experience it because the Bible also says in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, it's within you. So the power of God is within you, influencing the world around you because it's the reign and the authority and the power of Almighty God. Now, we also know about the kingdom of God that it's entered by the new birth. How do I get into the kingdom of God? I don't walk into a door, so to speak, a physical door. I come into by the new birth whereby the Spirit of God in my heart changes me from not knowing God to knowing God, from being unsaved to being saved, to being lost to being found. So it comes by the new birth. It's also, we know, it's not physical, but it's spiritual. It says in Romans 14, 17, that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when I'm in the kingdom of God, what is it? It's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy. That's the characteristic of the kingdom. When I'm not experiencing righteousness and peace and joy, I'm trying to live in the other kingdom, the kingdom of this world. But when I experience that, I'm going, this is it. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to love God. It means that I know that, that, that even though I fall short, his righteousness has forgiven me and cleansed me and made me righteous. Now, what about the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven, remember, was intended to be, we're going to try my art out here. Does that look like a throne? Kind of? How many of you drove at least 15 miles today? See, people drive for miles to see my artwork. Okay, throne of God. Think about Jesus, Jesus on the throne. Jesus came, he said, I'd like to reign. I'm willing to die, and the plan of God has that provision, but I'd like to reign. And they said, no king for us. He says, all right, we'll postpone this. We'll go the millennium. And that's a thousand-year reign of God on earth. We're not going to deal with that today because we've got so much. But the term kingdom of heaven is used in Matthew's gospel 33 times. If God says something once, it's significant, right? If he says it 33 times, it might be important. Would you all agree with that? All right. So it's not a literal, uh, so it is a literal, physical kingdom that was offered to but rejected by the Jews. A literal kingdom offered to but rejected by the Jews. The kingdom of heaven 
will merge with the kingdom of God at the return of Christ. And we're going to show you some scriptures as we go through this. We're trying to give you the big picture. If some of you say, well, I, I can't remember all this, you can go back on our website. We archive all these sermons. You can pick it up. Typically, this one will be ready by the latest Tuesday. Sometimes it's up on Monday, sometimes sooner. But you can go back and go through this, read the scriptures, and get it. John Phillips, uh, a, a biblical scholar, commentary, a commentator, said this, in the coming day, the kingdom will be manifest in two realms, heaven and earth. The church will reign in the heavenlies, and Israel will reign on earth. Remember last week we talked from Ephesians, and we said that, that we are to, to make known the power of God to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places? Why would we do that unless that's the sphere of our future reigning? Remember it says of Jesus, if you've, if you've studied your Bible, it says that Jesus will sit upon the throne of his father David and rule with a rod of iron. Where's he going to sit? On earth. Where's the new Jerusalem? In heaven. This is really, this is really good stuff. If you just get 10% of it, you're doing well. Is that okay? You go, I don't know what he's talking about. Well, hopefully we're going to bring it in and, and make some more sense out of it. So Jesus said this about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. At hand. What does it mean for the kingdom of God to be at hand? He says in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, repent, listen to this, repent for the kingdom of God, uh, or kingdom of heaven is at hand. Literally, the king, literally in the Greek it means the kingdom from the heavens. The kingdom from the heavens is at hand. What does that mean? It means within your grasp. Do you know that you can grasp the kingdom? Think about that. Have you ever held on to something? Well, he says grasp it. Take hold of the kingdom. We also know that the kingdom uh, uh, is made known. When it's at hand, it means it's made known or it's visible. I can see the works of the kingdom in my world. I can know that he's doing something in my world. We also know the kingdom is active and not passive. So you know the Holy Spirit in Scripture, he's always moving. He's never passive or stagnant. He's always moving. He's always, you know, he's, he's bringing little thoughts to your mind. Even right now when you sit there, you're going, I'm making application or I'm thinking about this or what's the Spirit of God doing? He's working in our midst even when we don't know exactly what he's up to, which I think is, is phenomenal. In Luke chapter, uh, uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus said this, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Heal the sick. When you heal the sick, the kingdom of God has come near you. Let's reverse that. The converse of that would be, if I don't heal the sick, the kingdom of God is not near me in that moment. That's why we tell people we don't pray for the sick, we heal the sick. You see the difference? Jesus never told anybody to pray for the sick. He told them to heal the sick. Why? Because that's kingdom stuff. That's not supposed to happen. That's the kind of stuff doctors go, we can't explain it. The kingdom can and you are, guess what? You are the tools of God for the kingdom. Let's put that verse in another way. You have seen God in action. Through us, God is now ruling here. Satan has been defeated. The miracles you just witnessed are proof of it. When you see things that are unusual in the kingdom, that's the kingdom. When you see things that can be explained by man, that's man. 
What we want to do is we want to press into Jesus, press into the kingdom so that we get out on that very risky point of, of, of eternity where God has to come through and work a miracle for the kingdom to be evident. Then we don't do church. We don't do religion. We do kingdom. And it becomes about the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom of God that's within me, through me, around the world, wherever we go. You know, I was uh, just this past week, I was out to see Guy and, and uh, pray with him, and, and Ted was there, with, and Carrie was there, and good to see you, Carrie, I love you. Um, and Guy, Guy's been in a coma, and uh, I walked up and I said, hey, Guy, and he kind of jumped, and I thought, that's a good thing. When you're in a coma and somebody frightens you, it's really good. It means you know what's going on. And then Carrie said, you know, I've only seen my husband cry once in his lifetime, and uh, I put on Kim Walker, and he started music, and she, he just started crying. You know what that means? That means the spirit man inside knows exactly what's going on. And what do we do? We press in. We press in. We don't stop. We keep pressing. We keep pressing. Because you see, the, the mindset of this world and the physical frame of this world always wants to try to prevent the things of the kingdom. But we press in. And then I got, uh, and I got a text from uh, Tao, and I said, hey, I don't know if this is true, but I wanted to confirm my facts before I quote you. And the Tao's right here. Where are you at, Tao? Right over here. And her husband, uh, Noah, uh, we gave you a report last week, and we got another update. And here, I think I've got it on the screen here for you. Noah's white blood sound is, counts, is going up, and immune system is bouncing back more than it has in two months. Nurses told us this is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. They said miracle, but I'm going to take that word and put it in there. This is the kingdom. She went on to say, counts are going up. Doctors thought it would never, never would because they had believed that he had weak bone marrow and, or, or had bone marrow and cancer. But, oh, they were wrong. Nurses have been saying it's a kingdom. The cancer is gone because he hasn't had any treatment for the cancer in the last month and a half. Now, let me, let me just take you back. Let me take you back to this. Here's what I said. You have seen God in action through us. God is now ruling here. Satan has been defeated. The miracles you have just witnessed are proof of it. That's why we exist, people. We exist to see God work in your life, regardless of what it is, whether it's physical or financial or relational. The fact that God is at work in your life is evidence of the kingdom. I don't want to just come and hear a good sermon or some good, you know, or some good music and then go home and kind of evaluate it. I want to encounter God. We want God encounters. We want to walk away and go, you know, I don't know what the guy said, but I met God. I'm good with that. To be honest, sometimes on Monday I can't remember what I preached. But if I met God, I'm okay with that. You see, we want God encounters. And sometimes what will happen in the middle of a sermon, God will just speak to you, and he'll take you off in a whole other zone of God encounter, and you might not even hear the next 10 minutes of the message. And it's okay because you, you, we're, we're here to be a catalyst to get you to God. That's what the church is supposed to do. You see, the kingdom of God is a mystery. It's a mystery. Remember chapter 12. Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders, Right? 
And these guys reject Jesus. Chapter 13 is a turning point. It's so radical that what Jesus says here is amazing. This is the first time Jesus ever spoke in parables in chapter 13 of Matthew. And all of a sudden he starts speaking parables, and the disciples going, what's with the parables? Really what they say, look at it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, the disciples came and said, why do you speak to them in parables? The them are the Jewish leaders. Why are you using parables? You never use parables. You tell cool stories. And look what he says. He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Do you know to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven is something God gives you? You don't get it because you're smart. You don't get it because you read a lot. God says, I'm going to entrust you with a mystery in the kingdom. Once you understand the mysteries of the kingdom, you're going to see that God is going to give you more. He's going to entrust you with more. Look what the Scripture says here. For whoever, verse 12, for whoever has to him, more will be given. So once I enter into this kingdom understanding of the mysteries of God, God says, I'm going to show you more mysteries now. It's kind of like getting on a train, and once you get on the train, the train is going to go faster because the mysteries are going to accelerate. The understanding is going to accelerate in the kingdom. Because God is not putting any limits on what you can know and what you can understand. So look what it says here. And he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. If you don't steward well what God shows you, God will take it away and give it to somebody else. It's your call. You say, well, I don't get it. You probably already, he's already taken it because you wouldn't steward what the little bit he had. Take what you have and steward it well. It may not be much. It may not be significant in, in, in the big picture of things, but steward it well, and God will give you more and more and more and more. Therefore, verse 13, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now, here's the truth. Truth, truth is not hidden from you. It's hidden for you. You see, he's not throwing the truth out there for everybody to get and make it easily accessible. He says, do you really want to go deeper with me? I will give it to you. I am reserving it for you so that when you enter into it, you're going to have one of those moments where, wow, now I get it. You ever had that? Or now I see it. That's God not hiding it from you. He's just reserving it back to give it to you at the right time when you will steward it well. And the more, what I found is, the more that I read, the more that I pray, the more that I study the Word of God, the more He gives me. He trusts me. I can't expect Him just to honor me if I don't honor Him. Amen? All right. The mysteries of the kingdom are unending. Whatever you know now is a fragment of what you can know. Think about what you know now is like a speck of dust that hangs precariously on the lip of a bucket the size of the universe. How's that for a metaphor? God has so much more. I want to show you who I am. I want to show you the riches who I am. I mean, have you ever just asked God to give you a vision of him seated upon the throne? I do this every week. I just say, God, just show me. And every week he comes through. I just sit there and, and I just wait. God, show me. And, and every week Jesus is doing something different. I'm, just, I'm sitting there and some weeks he's just folding his arms and some weeks he's raising his hand. And I'm just sitting there and I, and I just ask, God, I want a revelation of you that relates to what I need to know. Right? 
And that moment in, in one of the worship songs, I don't remember which one, when I was doing I was sitting there and, and I just said, God, just give me a vision of you. And he was just clapping his hands. I like this. Did you ever think about it? He's a man as well as God. He gets happy and excited and he cries too. Because he's the God-man, fully God and fully man. Understanding increases as a reward for your hunger. When you hunger after God, he says, I'm going to give you more. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Are you Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall, watch it, see God. Blessed, happy are those who hunger Hunger after righteousness, for they shall, here it is, see God. When you see God, you don't want to see anything else. That vision of God is so amazing. The kingdom of God is prophetic. The kingdom of, when we think about the kingdom of heaven, it's prophetic in that it's opening up our eyes to something. Let me take you to the book of Revelation for a moment. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus says, behold, I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. This is an amazing truth that has not been taught too much. Now watch what it says. Hold fast lest someone take your crown. It never says Satan takes your crown. It never says God takes your crown. It says someone. You know what that means? Some human can rob you of your eternal reward. By redirecting your mind to the natural and the temporal and away from the eternal and the spiritual. So he says, what do I do? He says, hold fast. You ever held fast on something? First, first and only time I've ever repelled, I was in college. And the first time I went with a guy who had gone once and he thought he knew everything and we were going to do repel down a 300-foot rock quarry in Alabama. If you think I was not holding on, I was holding on. I still can't believe I did it. But I held on. And, and whenever I read that scripture, I think about how much I held on because, honestly, I was afraid to let go. When you, when you have that mindset about God, I'm going to hold on because I'm afraid what will happen if I let go of God. I'll lose my reward. Don't let anybody take your crown from you. What are you going to do without that crown? You say, well, I don't care if I get a crown. You know what the crowns are for? It says in Revelation 4 and 5 when you read those two chapters together, the crowns are that which we, we get in, in life because we've honored God, and it says we take our crowns and we throw them at the feet and we sing a new song, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and glory and honor. The crown's not for you, it's for him. When you say, I don't want a crown, you're saying he doesn't matter. See, the kingdom is never about you. It's always about him. Isn't it? Not about me. About him. How do I honor him? He gave everything for me. He died on a cross for me and for you. What do I, how do I honor him? Look, let me go on to the scripture here. It says, uh, and he that overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. That sounds good, Right? And look what it says, and he shall go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. Here it is, the new Jerusalem, 
which comes down out of heaven from my God. You see, the earthly Jerusalem is only a earthly picture, a model of the heavenly Jerusalem that is perfect. That earthly Jerusalem with all those gates is only a picture of that heavenly Jerusalem that has 12 gates. And you see, we don't look for a city whose builder and maker is God. That's what it says of Abraham. But we look for a, we, or for, of man, we look for a city that's made by God. Abraham never had a house. Did you know this? He lived in a tent his whole life. You know why? Because he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. It says he traversed the land looking, but he never found it. But one day he's found it now. He's in the heavenly city now. You see, crowns, crowns or rewards are given and they're taken. When you gain a reward, when you gain a crown, hold on to it. And know that God is fulfilling his plan right here on planet earth. His plan for the kingdom is being fulfilled in you and through you. You are his delegates. You are his designated person. And what God is looking for is overcomers. You know, whenever you give up and go, yeah, I tried that, it didn't work, I prayed it didn't work, you know what you're doing? You're being overcome. What you need to say is, I will overcome. I will overcome. It may be difficult, but I will overcome. It may be hard, but I will overcome. Christ in me is my overcomer. Christ in me, the hope of glory, is my overcomer. I may, I may experience a setback, but I will not be overcome. Because it was not, I was not created to be overcome. God created me his image. He gave me tenacity and power and strength and wisdom all from him so that I would be like him and not give up. The lamb has overcome. He has prevailed. Worthy is the lamb to receive power and glory and honor. And one day every tongue will confess and every knee will bow and they will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth, everyone and everything will give glory to him. Because you know why? He humbled himself and became like a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. I don't know what that name is. You know he gets a new name? Do You know you get a new name, he's going to write the name of his God on you. You're going to have a new name. You know why Jesus gets a new name? Because the demons won't be able to curse him throughout eternity because he has a new name. You know why you get a new name? Because everything that was spoken against you, see, words have power. Every word that was spoken against you here on earth will have no effect because you have a new name. No one can slander you. No one can, can criticize you because they don't know your name. That's what it means to be an overcomer, amen? Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to have our band sing this song, We've Overcome. You know, I just love what God is doing in us and through us, don't you? Hey, if you got a little taste of the kingdom today, you know how you know? Your mind goes, wow, I got that. You ever get like angel bumps? They're kind of like goosebumps, except they're heavenly. You go like, ooh, God talked to me. 
That's evidence of the kingdom. When we sing this song, I want you to sing it like, you, like it's you, like you mean it. If there's something you say, I need to be an overcomer in, fill in the blank, while, the, while we're singing this song, you sing out, and you just put your word in there. Sing your song unto the Lord. Just sing your own song unto the Lord right now. Amen? Just sing unto the Lord. Make a new song. You got it? I don't care if you can't sing. Sing it anyway. Amen? What if somebody doesn't like it? You ain't singing for them. Amen? Let's go.